Welcome back, everybody. It's Father Dave here. And Mr. Costa from uh, Locusts and Wild Honey, and we're here to talk about the readings from Sunday in the fourth week of Lent. Yes. Guys, but before we do that, this for, should those be good. Of you, for those of you who have siblings, there's like a special connection. Now, Costa, you're an only child, right? I am, and this plays part in what you're about to say. Yeah, definitely. Uh, being the oldest of eight and, you know, the oldest of six boys and two girls, you know, we ripped on each other a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a lot of fun with each other. But, you know, guys, uh, I'm, I'm running a little late here today, and one thing led to another. And I wanted to get a jog in before we, we dove into this recording. And it dawned on me as I was running late, I was like, oh, man, I should really jump in the shower and get here uh, before we do this. And then I was like, no, let I just want to smell so bad in his presence as we're in this confined area. I wanted to see him struggle going through this recording to see him have to deal with his own thoughts and my gross smell right now. And nothing... He's like the brother I never wanted. <laughs> <laughs> nothing he's saying there is inaccurate. I, I just want to point out that... This is completely true. I just stayed at work and, and worked while, <laughs> while you were off running. It sound, that's, that's nice. And I really wouldn't consider myself running. I mean, I, I consider it a comedy show for the public. Because <laughs> it's like, if you looked at my face while I was doing this and the slow motion in which I'm doing this in right now because I'm 40 pounds overweight, it's it's quite laughable. All right. And Father Dave, don't worry. I'll continue to carry campus ministry on my back while you're <laughs> off doing whatever it is that you do. <laughs> Normally, folks, when he goes away, he'll text me. He says, oh, I have a meeting at the parish. It's like, <laughs> That's sure it. you do. Sure I do. I just want to get away from him for a <laughs> while. So looking at these readings from Sunday, and I, I expressed to you earlier in the week, Chronicles is not a book I was familiar with. Right. You know, we had a we had an outstanding. Um, we didn't go to school together, but we shared a scripture teacher, um, an Old Testament scripture teacher, Catherine Hayes, Doctor Catherine Hayes. Yeah. Brilliant and honestly, one of the nicest people you'll ever meet in your life. Oh my goodness, yes. Yeah. And but I don't remember having done Chronicles, so I had to do a little homework on it on myself. <clears throat> and I, yeah. as I mentioned in previous podcasts, I teach scripture here, but Chronicles doesn't come up. But it's an interesting passage, and I'm, I'm glad I, I had the ability to dive into it a little bit. And, and one of the things that, that struck me, um, there's, there's a part of it, and I'm going to quote it here, their enemies burnt the house of God, tore down the walls of Jerusalem, set all its palaces afire, and destroyed all of its precious objects. Those who escaped the sword were carried captive to Babylon. Now, Babylon is kind of where Iraq is now, and it really struck me that this is where the Pope was this week, mm. and and he was in Mosul, and where he where he said mass. And if you if you haven't seen any of the video of it, you might want to check it out. It's 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 pretty stirring. There there's a church there, and I believe it was right in Mosul, although I might be wrong on that particular part. It was definitely in Iraq that ISIS had massacred people. There were priests that were protecting. Uh, their parishioners, and ISIS actually executed yeah. them. They, they rebuilt most of the church. They left, they left some of the, um, the bullet holes as, as a reminder. Mm-hmm. And the Pope went there and said Mass. And I, apparently, now this is something I, I did find a little annoying, not with the Pope, but with um, 
some of the commentary that you read online this week, they had, be, they had threatened to, ISIS had threatened to behead the Pope, and the Pope went there and said mass, and, and some people were like cheering on, it's like that machismo Catholicism, like, you go Pope, you show them. It's like, that's not what we need. You know, I, I, I don't think that's the attitude that really brings us to forgiveness, that brings us to redemption, um, and that brings us to an understanding of God. The Pope just went and said Mass, and it, it was beautiful. You know, he wasn't, he wasn't challenging anybody. He wasn't uh, flexing his muscles, Right. you know? And it really, it really struck me that that would be in the readings this week, and, and yeah. I, it, it helped me understand a, a little bit. I, I think, and I, and I think especially the way that Pope Francis operates, you can show that you're not afraid of of a particular message or a threat and still do it with love. And humility. And, and humility. And I think that's exactly how our Lord carried himself in the Gospels. There wasn't that, you know, machismo like yeah. you're talking about, but rather you can be strong mm-hmm. in the face of uh, threat and, and do it with great love. And, and all he did was, you know, quietly say, you know, by his actions, yeah. I love you. Yep. I'm not afraid. Mm-hmm. And we're going to pray here uh, for you and with you. And offering the people the Eucharist. Yeah. Like, you and, know, and Jesus, we brought Jesus present there. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's very interesting with Chronicles. You know, I think, I think specifically, I mean, with all the gospel, with all of the readings in the Bible, historical context is important. Uh, but I think specifically in the Old Testament to get a, a a very flavorable sense of what's going on. And Chronicles <clears throat> is recorded right after the kingdom had fallen and yes. split. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's where the Babylon reference very, is there. Yes, it's very important, gang, because Israel was united, the, the north and the south, the ten, the ten tribes of Israel to the north, and Jerusalem and Judea in the south. And it was they vicious. Were, Yes, they were oh, they hated under, one another. under King David and just about almost all of Solomon's life. For those 75 years, it was the only time that the two areas, the two kingdoms were united. Yeah. And they were the most powerful on the planet mm-hmm. for that time frame under King David. That says, during the King of Solomon, all people from all over would come and pay tribute to them. And when they break up, Israel's not a nation again until 1948. Yeah. Is that crazy? Yeah, and so this is important because the temple was the most revered place yep. on the planet during that time. And then once the kingdom splits, there is more people being brought in, alien people from different nations and different customs and practices. And eventually, they're so weak on their borders that once ba- once the Babylonian Empire uh, becomes great, our Lord sends prophets mm-hmm. to prophesy like you have to do certain things mm-hmm. in order to ensure the kingdom's uh, safety and security but they had gotten so consumed in on themselves and the practices as they say in this reading it says in those days all the princes of judah the priests and the people added infidelity to infidelity practicing all the abominations of the nations and polluting the lord's temple which he had consecrated in jerusalem and so it's his understanding that they had gotten so comfortable in their sin. They were so consumed in on themselves that they weren't paying attention to what the Lord was saying to yeah. them. And they were, not, they were blinded to what was happening outside of their borders. In Paul's letter to the Romans, he says, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. Yeah. And that's essentially what happens here. 
you know, they knew the story. They had Moses. They had the, you know, the the, uh, yeah. the patriarchs, and they exchanged it for a lie. And like always, not to condemn those who have gone past us. It's not that hard to look at our own lives and see us doing the same thing. And I don't mean the collective us. I mean the individuals. Yes. Me saying this, you saying this, the people listening. Unfortunately, we do it all the time. And Lent is a a, a reason or a, a a season to kind of go introspective on that. You know, what what have I exchanged for a lie that I've bought into? That is, you know, essentially what lie have I bought into that is tearing down the temple of Christ's body, which is what we were talking about last week yeah. in the cleansing of the temple. Yeah. yeah. I, I would like to also kind of just piggyback off of that thought. In, in one of the lines, in one of the sentences here in the first reading, it says, but they mocked the messengers of God, the people of Israel, despised God's warnings and scoffed at his prophets until the anger of the Lord against his people was so inflamed that there was no remedy. Yeah. And it, like, if I could just take a moment here to explain the anger of the Lord. That would be good, because I think that's misunderstood um, what that means. We think of the Old Testament, we think of God's wrath, like he's hurling firestones, and he's right. like an angry God. Then he gets the New Testament, he's kind of, that's like the nice God. Sure, it, it's And like, neither of those are correct. Uh, yeah, like when we, you know, when people think of the anger of God, they, they kind of think, well, well, wait, wait, he was surprised that we screwed up? You know, and <laughs> it's, right, exactly. you know what I mean? And, he, and he's going to like, you know, he's looking to censure us severely. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's not the case at all. The anger of the Lord refers to uh, him like disciplining us or, or getting us back on track. Like his, <clears throat> the anger of God is really the love of God. Mm-hmm. Like uh, I'll, I'll try to give you a couple of examples. I mean, is we, your dad coming into the story? Oh, my dad's oh that's good. Cool. I like time, these stories. Right. So, you know, there was, uh, there was a time where my father had said to us, you can't go over your, over my buddy's house to my neighbor. Can't go over my neighbor's house. I was like 12 years old, 13. Can't go over, can't go over, can't go over. For any, for the just sole fact that he just didn't have the time to kind of watch all of us going on, he just didn't want me to go over there that day. And what did I do? You went over. Of course, I went over there, right? And uh, you know, when he found out that I was over there, I got in trouble. Mm-hmm. You know, when uh, you know, it was like, well, why, you know, Dad, why, why, you know, why am I in trouble? And he's not because you went over, it's not because you went over there because like that is, I didn't, you know, because that's bad land, you know, it's, it's because you disobeyed me. And if you're going to disobey me in this area, you're going to disobey me in other areas. Mm -hmm. You know, my brother one time, he asked, well, he asked my brother, my my brother, John, go get the hammer. You know, my father was doing some work and he just needed the hammer in the garage. So what did my brother do? My brother got the, the hammer he threw it to my father. <laughs> he almost hit my brother, who was about five years old, in yeah, the head. What bad could happen from that? Yeah, so my brother John got in trouble for that. Mm-hmm. Why did he get in trouble? Because he did something stupid. Yeah. <laughs> and he got in trouble so that he wouldn't do it again and hurt somebody else. Mm-hmm. You know, And, and I, I think that sometimes we have to look at and understand that God is, he'll, there's a punishment involved only to kind of bring us back to where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. And, and so when we feel like we, the anger of God is upon us, it's really his love <clears throat> bringing us back to where we're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. That's the remedy, is to bring us back on that straight and narrow, because wide is the path that leads to destruction. 
And, and it talks, or you talk about really what we had mentioned last week when we were discussing Deuteronomy and the Ten Commandments and how the word Torah is really a guide as opposed mm. to a legalistic law. <coughs> and I think that's what you're hitting upon with the, yeah. with the understanding of, of God. Mm-hmm. The, the second reading is from Paul, mm-hmm. and there's, there's a section here, By grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from you, it is a gift from God. It is not from works so no one may boast. And I came across this cool idea from, from Pope Francis, and he, he challenges that. And I think, I think our audience, they're really over the, all over the United States. I think we know some of the ones here in our school. But we're kind of, this is the choir, right? We're preaching to the choir, so I think we could be a little more challenging as opposed to pre- preaching to people that are, are not you know, mm-hmm. in the church. Um, and, and Pope Francis, when he said this, it, it really got to me. It really got me thinking. He said, do I really desire God's grace? Like, do I really want it? Or am I content to say, you know, God be with me. God, give me your grace. God, give me wisdom. Am I content in just asking? Or do I really, really desire it? Like, do I really want it like I want the thing I want most in life? Right. You know, Um that, that, do I, do I want to fill my heart with the peace that I know comes only from deepening my relationship with Jesus? Do I want the relationship with Jesus to make me whole? Like, do I, like, honestly, do I really want that? Or am I just saying, you know, God, I want you because that's what you say in the morning when you pray, or, or I'm, in, I'm in a desperate time and I'm looking for God. It, it, everybody can answer that question differently, but I, I think it's a really intriguing push a little bit to dig a little bit deeper into this, and that's what I was reminded of when I read this. And that's, and I think that's the same as what our Lord says in the Gospel, what's the pearl of great price? Mm-hmm. You know, if you find that pearl of great price, you're going to do whatever you can to purchase it yeah. and, and obtain it. That's a good example to back this up, yes, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I wish I could take credit for that example, but, huh. it, you know, I'm stealing Jesus' example. He would be happy with that. <laughs> so, and that brings us to the Gospel. <clears throat> The conversation with with Nicodemus, and and again, more for the historical context here. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, and Pharisees can be hard sometimes to understand in the Gospels. Mm -hmm. Jesus is ripping them left and right, and he's ripping them, those particular ones who have put themselves in front of God. And honestly, we probably know religious people in our life that do that. You know, sometimes you see people on TV, and you know that's really about them. It, they're not really talking about God. Well, they're talking about God, but but it's really about them. It's mm-hmm. really about their relationship. It's it's always it's it's very narcissistic in a way. Yeah. And I think that's what Jesus is calling out when when he is it, it, even more in Matthew's gospel. Um, I, I think than anywhere else, maybe even more than John. It is that religious leader that puts themselves above everybody. One of the interesting things about Nicodemus is his even meeting with Jesus. And, and previous to what, what is in Sunday's reading, he, he, has to, he has to meet with Jesus at night. And uh, Father Jasani from uh, Community Liberation says, all relationships need to be public to be complete and true. I'll say that again. All relationships need to be public to be complete and true. And I think it's very indicative of Nicodemus wanting to meet Jesus at night because uh, at night because other pe- he didn't want other people to see it, and yeah. and for fear, yeah. you know, for for fear that maybe he was starting to think outside the box. And and this is me conjecturing now. 
the 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 idea was that the Messiah, the Jewish idea of the Messiah, was it was going to be someone like King David coming on a white horse to slay the Romans, and and I, I wonder if Nicodemus was starting to get a sense, okay, this might be a little bit different than we thought, and we were even talking about that in last week's podcast a little bit, but still he had to do it undercover at night. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there was also the under understanding through the prophets that there would be the suffering servant, the Messiah. Oh yeah. But that wasn't the idea of the Jews that Jesus was talking about. That's an interesting point you bring up, because we as Catholics will be very familiar with Isaiah talking about that in, the, in our readings in Advent. Mm-hmm. And, and I want to say, but why didn't, why didn't they understand it then? Because that's, the guy Isaiah describes is exactly the guy they got. Right. You know, and it's more complicated than, than me making it as simple as I'm making it. Well, because we talk about it at Christmas, they should understand it. But I, but I give Nicodemus credit for at least, I, I think he's trying to find that truth a little bit. Sure. And, and I think um, uh, if, if we could just kind of break down a little bit, this is a really beautiful part of the gospel yeah. uh, of, of the story of Nicodemus. Is this what chapter? This is chapter three. So it's still really the infancy, well, I, that's the wrong word to use in a gospel because John has no infancy narrative, but right. it's, a, it's the beginning of it's John's the, gospel. It's the yeah, beginning yeah. of John's gospel. And to kind of go back to what we were talking about last week, you know, this is the great line, you know, John three sixteen, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, yeah. so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. And I, I think there, there is so much, I mean, I think the entirety of the gospel is wrapped up in that one phrase. All of the hope that we as Christians have and possess is this understanding that you know, God so loved the world, he loved each and every one of us so much that he gave us his only son as the payment for our sinfulness. Mm-hmm. And when we make it personal, instead of like just looking at the news of what what these people are doing or what this person has done wrong, uh, but we also take the introspective look of saying, yeah, but I'm not perfect either. And there were things that I without the help of grace, without, without the help of God, I can't be this perfect person. To know that whatever it is that is bad about us and about what we see in the world, that it was all handed over to Jesus to die on the cross for us, that he's the payment for the, for the hope that we have of entering eternal life. Uh, you, want a, you want a really good quote I found that I think speaks to this? Are you quoting me? Yeah, go ahead. No. You're, you're ready for it? This is a good one. This is St. John Christendom. All, in all circumstances, yield to the incomprehensibility of God's providence. Mm. You know, and even as you were saying those words, that was running around in my head, the incomprehensibility of that, that God so loved the world. Right. Like, like, I understand what it's talking about. He's talking about giving up his son for our sin. Like, in my head, I understand it. But I, I, I have to be honest, I don't understand the incomprehensibility of the love because it's too big for me to wrap my, wrap my mind around. Mm. You know, and, I, and I, that, that quote, I thought, fits so well in, in with this gospel. Um, I think it was Father Michael Himes. He's a um, professor in Boston College, I think still. Um, and... He said, once you have defined God, it's no longer God you're talking about. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. because we put, we put limits on it. 
Yeah. And, th and that's what he was trying to point out. And I think this quote is similar, the incomprehensibility. Um, because I think the thing you just read, you could chew on forever. Yeah. And, yeah. I, and, I, and, I, and I think that helps us lead into the other parts of John, what we talked about last week, point one being the relationship with the Father. That as we saw last week in the temple, that Jesus specifically says, get these, you know, stop selling these doves in my father's house. Stop, mm -hmm. you know, stop desecrating my father's house. That, that John is trying to establish the divinity of Christ, that he is from the father. He is from Yahweh, that he is the Messiah, that all of divinity is wrapped up in his person. Point two is that John likes to, not only in his gospel, but also in his letters. And if, gang, if you ever get the chance to read John's letters, it's different from the gospel. He keeps similar themes, like I'm about to point out, but John's letters are roadmaps for you and I. You know, he's writing to people on how to live the Christian life out. Yeah. James 2, St. Peter. So Peter, James, and John each have their letters. Paul does too. Paul's a little bit heavier. Yeah. But Peter, James, and John are like smacking you right in the face. Um, it's almost like the gospel is the theory, and then the letters are the practice, <laughs> right? In some and, level, and, and or the ideal, you could say, in the, yeah. say, the gospel, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but John has a theme of light and darkness, mm. and John understands that to do the will of God, to to be wrapped up in His love and to follow His will, to follow the commandments, and to to commit to a relationship with Jesus Christ is to remain in the light mm -hmm. and to do th to do sin, to commit sin, to live a life of secrecy, to live a life of sin and manipulation um, is to live in the darkness. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I just love, I'll, let me just read this, this sure. second half of the gospel. Yeah, go quick. for it. And this is the verdict. That the light came into the world, Jesus, the light came into the world, but people preferred darkness to light. They preferred evil to our Lord, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light, and does not come toward the light, so that his works might not be exposed. But whoever lives the truth comes to the light so that his works may be clearly seen as done in God. It is <clears throat> as true today as it was 2,000 years ago. Yeah, Bishop Robert Barron had a, a, a great image for John's gospel. Uh, not this particular gospel, but John's theme overall. Mm -hmm. He used the visual of having to go into the basement or crawl space that, with a flashlight in the dark. And he says, as you shine the flashlight, you see like all the bugs kind of scatter to and fro. Because they live in darkness, and when you shine the light in the darkness, what lives in the dark can't handle the light, and it scatters. But when you want to live a life in the darkness, nothing can be seen by the light. Yeah, yeah. and I, I think our society has anesthetized us to this idea that um, the darkness is at least something I know and I could be comfortable in that darkness. Uh, yep. The light may cause me to want to do more or act more or be different, and that's that's a scary thing. It is. And, and you know, like, if I could just give 
just a few examples here to help us un uh, illustrate this uh, this visual that John is painting is that when we try to when our thought process isn't pure and we have ulterior motives behind maybe greeting people maybe on the outside we look like we are the nicest people and maybe you know if if our if our thought process is to manipulate people to do what we want, that's not right. If we are committed in a relationship and we are talking to other people outside of that relationship, whether it be physical or an emotional attachment, that's wrong. That's living in the darkness. It's in secret to lie, to withhold the entire truth to cheat on the taxes mm -hmm. or to to or stuff like that you, you know i think if i could just throw something else on there that might be what you're saying i, I think I, I made a reference before to the twitterverse and catholic twitter in in mm -hmm. regards to this machismo catholicism that's mm -hmm. just silly um, but but I do think the internet and social media. I don't think those things are, are bad. Obviously, they're not authentically right. bad or no, bad no, yeah. in themselves. But we can't hide behind them. Uh, right. You know, we can we can throw flames at people. Um, and yes, I, it's I, yeah. it's not really us. I mean, it is us, but it appears not to be us. You know, and yep. we can go back and hide in that, and and even do it anonymously. And, and I do think social media has a tremendous capability if we let it for doing that for remaining in the dark. Yeah. And, and that would I would I would understand the gospel to be where John says, when you live in the darkness and you give into that wickedness, it's presenting yourself as one person, but deep within your heart and in that secret life, it's not, it's a duplicitous lifestyle. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas, there are certain people, in your life possibly, uh, God willing, there are, where you are around them, and you know that what you see. Is who they are. Is who you are, is, yeah. what they, is what you get. I have met people who, when they tell you that they're interested in you and they say hello, when they look at you, you could tell that there's this penetrating glance of love and there's no duplicity. Mm -hmm. You know, that there is, there is just this organic, authentic wholeness that Jesus has taken away whatever you know, he's helped them conform themselves to the light so much yeah. uh, that you experience it profoundly. And when you walk away from their presence, you're truly touched. Mm -hmm. And it is a, it should, it's like you met Christ. And I, and I think in those moments, we begin to see ourselves, if we're fortunate to be touched enough by that person, we start to see ourselves as God sees us, as eminently lovable no matter what we do. Yeah, you know um, that we were created out of love, which goes back to um, what you were reading from from John. Um, this uh, this ability. I, I, I actually, I'm thinking of um, of Gerard Manley Hopkins now, and mm -hmm. he said, "When you look in the eyes of someone you love, you see a reflection of yourself mm -hmm. that you love." That's been one of my favorite things yeah. uh, forever. And um, and what you were saying about when we, when we meet Jesus, we know that that authenticity, but we we could see it in other people. Yeah. And and we really like who we are mm -hmm. when when we're around that person. Yeah. You know. Yeah. We get this from the kids all the time. 
in 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 this sense they are just happy to be around the you know whether it be the chapel or retreat they're just happy to be there they they find they are at their best selves we had a i'll tell a quick story before we end it we are doing adoration tuesday nights in lent and we have a little discussion afterwards and there was a junior girl last week that she had come the previous week at the insistence the behest of her sister Hmm. said, you have to go to adoration. And she said, well, I don't really want to go. And she kind of dragged her. And this is what the girl said. My sister dragged me. And she said, but I saw something there. You know, I, I knew that was the best thing I could be doing. But here's how it played out in her life. For the following week, she said, I didn't care who I called. I didn't care who I texted. I didn't care how I came across in a very healthy not caring, yeah. like not being worried about it because yeah. she, I think, had a glimpse of how Christ sees her as Christ was looking at her from the altar. Is that so cool? It is. It yeah. really is. Yeah. yeah. I, I had, a, we'll, we'll end it here. I, I had a little revelation about when, when people aren't in the light um, and how, how hurtful that could be. We have senior retreats here at St. John's, and for years the tradition has been um, we would make soup for the students. <coughs> and it was, always, it was always a tradition. And I just found out this He's afternoon... He's with the soup, guys. I have just found out this afternoon that people were humoring me because they weren't in the light. Um, and they were just saying nice things, and they weren't saying that I didn't, they didn't really like the soup. Guys, you, you could taste the love, but honestly, like... It wasn't really to write home about. Yeah, I'm see, I'm finding it out now, and it's that that moment when you find out your life is he a had lie. Come, he had to come to Jesus moment. Guys. I really did. I really, now what else? What else are people saying about me that isn't truthful? So <laughs> I don't know if I'll be back between the smell in here. I don't know if I'm going to live through it, <laughs> and then the hurt that's in my heart right now. I don't know if I'll be back next week. This could be the last episode of Locust and Wild Honey, or Father Dave will find like another somebody or something. <laughs> but remember, guys, and we'll end with this: For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him might not perish, but might have eternal life. God bless. If you would like to contact Father Dave or me, please follow us on Facebook at Locusts and Wild Honey. We appreciate your comments on all platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Please tell us what you think and share with your friends.